Hey kids, welcome back to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Today's episode, Star Trek 2. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. So I wanted to do a follow-up episode on Star Trek, and this one is going to be pretty much about the whole thing, but really, we're going to focus on Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Uh, And normally, I do a big, long intro for these things, but instead of doing that this week, I want to share with you the lyrics to the song uh, uh, for the, the intro music to The Next Generation. All right, here it goes. This is the new Star Trek show. This is Star Trek The Next Generation. This is the new Star Trek show on board the new USS Enterprise. There's Commander Riker. Okay, I'm I'm really sorry about this. This is embarrassing. I mean, the level of fandom involved in this. And I didn't write this, by the way. Scott Gimple, producer of uh, The Walking Dead, wrote this when we were friends. Uh, all of us, all three of us knew each. Anyway, yeah, so today it's Star Trek geekdom and how money killed one of the most interesting science fiction franchises of all time. I think, anyway. Oh, okay. Let's get started. Okay, let's boldly go. Let's boldly go. Let's go boldly. Let's go with boldness. Let's Let's not split infinitives. No, we must split infinitives. That is the law. Right? To boldly go? To boldly go. We're no <laughs> we're no one inclusivity I, has gone before. Right? I remember saying to somebody once, every time I hear that split infinitive, I cringe a little, and they're like, What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. That is the least of your worries with all of the Star Wars universe, honestly. Is the split <laughs> infinitive the name of a Star Trek episode? Or anyway. It, if it is, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is Brian. This is Eric. This is Chris. That's Chris. Yay. <laughs> and yeah, we're magnificently huge, a podcast. To Thanks. the stars. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Already. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's been a week. Uh, yeah. Been a real week. Definitely. And what? I'm really, I'm really what? peeved. That uh, because our last show was all Scorsese versus Marvel, and then right after we recorded that, um, Coppola came out and piled on, and then it became an even bigger bullshit story. And I'm so <laughs> mad that we didn't have the opportunity to bag on Coppola either. So thank you. <laughs> oh God, Scorsese versus Marvel—that's a video game. <laughs> yes, it is. So like all the Goodfellas and all the Iron Mans, and they're just punching. Yeah. And then Travis Bickle shows up at some point, right? Sure. You talking to me? Are you talking to me? That's that's the Joker now. Oh, wait. Fresh shit. Have you guys been? He said it. Fresh. Fresh shit. Fresh. Fresh fresh shit. This shit is fresh. Oh, shit. That is fresh. This stuff is really fresh. 
I have a bunch of it, so I'm kind of hoping that if you guys go first, maybe we have some overlap, but probably not. <laughs> probably not. God bless you, <laughs> All right, Brian. I'm going to break with tradition, and as as the person whose show it is this week, I'm just going to go. Uh, go. Because I got a story. Okay. I did end up going to see Zombieland Double Tap. Oh, um, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Didn't care for it, but then I only saw like the first 15 minutes and then someone in the audience had like a stroke, uh, some kind <laughs> because, of seizure. Because of the movie? I don't know. I don't know. It's just somebody started going, ah! and it's funny because my wife said afterwards she thought somebody was turning into a zombie. And nice. I was like, you know, there's no zombies, right? But yeah, uh, yeah so somebody has, a, has a, an episode and they turn the lights on. They stop the film. We stand outside and wait for them to do whatever. And then they show up with a, mo- with a mop and a bucket, and I realize that means he shit himself. And I'm like, look, can we not watch the rest of this? And she says, I, I wasn't really that into it either. I'm like, okay, good, let's just jam. So how far the, the only movies- thing about it I liked was Zoe Dooch, who is like this all in pink bimbo who they discover in a mall. But um, yeah, Zoe Dooch, whose name I have a real problem saying. That was Deutsch. Maybe, maybe. Okay. I don't know. I just read it. I haven't heard it. Uh, I then went and watched The Politician on Netflix, which is another Ryan Murphy concoction that's funny and awesome and campy. And I realize he's kind of the Tarantino of camp. You know, he makes his <laughs> stuff based on what he likes, and what he likes is Tony Randall films. You know, um, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, but. Zoe Deutsch, uh, Deutsch is in that too. And I was like, wow, this, this chick is everywhere. And then we go to the store and she's on the cover of Cosmo. And I'm like, what in the fuck is going on? Is that like, uh, when, uh, like when you say you like ranch dressing and then suddenly Google decides to put every ad on your phone as ranch dressing, no matter what? It's like plate or yeah. shrimp. Yeah. Plate, plate or shrimp. shrimp. Out of the blue, no explanation. <laughs> no point in looking for one either. It's all part of a cosmic unconsciousness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Her um, mom is Leah Thompson. That that I think oh, explains why, you know, okay. she's connected. Interesting. But anyway, yeah, the politician's really fun, really good. I wait, totally wait, does forgot. Does that mean her father time. is Howard Deutsch? Ah, the, that's his name. Okay, yeah. Okay. Director of then, Some Kind of Wonderful starring yes. Leah Thompson. Okay. Yes. Huh. We're like conne- okay. like we're getting connections here all of a sudden. That's it's, what's yeah. that was funny too, is uh, when 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 I found that out, my wife is like, "Oh, does that mean that her dad is um, what's his name, Howard Howard something?" And I was like, "Well, pre- presumably Howard Deutsch, right? Because that's yeah, because it's, it's 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 her last name isn't Thompson, so I'm figuring yeah, I unless mean, it's a really well, uh, weird stage name. Names are arbitrary, but that's kind of how they work, right? Yeah." So her PR team is working overtime, getting her on Netflix and in movies and on Cosmo all at the same time. Yes. She's everywhere. And, but the thing is, she's really good. So, you know, I don't really fault her. It's not like January Jones. I don't understand that career arc at all. (laughs) Well, best to just let that one go. Her career is just mad, man. Oh. (laughs) She was hired to be a clothes horse on Mad Men and somehow somebody thought she's a good actress. She didn't. No. Anyway, that was my fresh shit. What have you got, Chris? Oh, thanks for passing the torch, Eric. Uh, let me be Boom. brief. Uh, so two things, since we're talking about Netflix, 
because uh, I really got to say, as much as people bag on Netflix, they still do put out some really interesting original content, and I appreciate them for that. Uh, I know. I, I really they hope are. they. Yeah, yeah. I hope they are able to maintain that. Uh, a little longer until they go completely bankrupt because apparently yeah. now they're selling junk bonds and the yeah. end is well nigh for them. Well, interesting that you bring that up because one of the things I watched this week was The Laundromat, the Steven Soderbergh movie about the Panama Papers. And it's got uh-huh. Meryl Streep, Antonio Banderas, and Gary Oldman uh, kind of doing a weird pseudo-comic interpretation of all of the financial shenanigans that went on with the shell companies and basically it's just destroying everything that you and I love uh, about mm-hmm. everything because it's just all a bunch of fucking avaricious knuckleheads uh, stealing money and moving it around uh, so it's kind of if you like Steven Soderbergh's stuff it's fun because he, he sort of does it in a breezy Ocean's Eleven-y kind of style but it sort of has the hard-hitting weirdness of uh, what's the drug one he did with uh, Traffic? Yeah, so it's sort of like Ocean's Eleven meets Traffic. It's kind of a weirdly tonal shift that never really strays, so it never gets too serious, but never gets too jokey. Uh, and by the <laughs> end, you're just—it's like a gut punch because you realize that we're all just screwed, no matter what. Uh, but Meryl Streep gives a solid performance. All the actors actually do, but the reason to watch is because Gary Oldman plays one of the douchebag lawyers from Panama, and he's a German, and he's got the craziest German accent I've ever heard, (laughs) and he keeps it up for the entire duration of the movie, and it kills. It made me laugh on multiple levels because it's just, I can't believe even he managed to keep it so consistent. But then I realized he's Gary Oldman, so fuck it, right? Yeah, yeah I miss Oldman, crazy Gary Oldman. Yeah. I, I, it's not that he's underrated, but man, he just keeps bringing the goods, doesn't he? Yeah, like, so... He really disappears <laughs> into his roles. Yeah, so it's it's good. It's, uh, it's kind of a larky uh, movie about a serious subject, which is very weird, but that's totally sober to me. I have a feeling... I'm sorry, I have a feeling at some point someone said to him, well, if you're so good, how come you you never won Best Actor? And he just said, fuck you. All right, like, hand me the first uh, biopic on that pile of scripts. Yeah. Uh, A Churchill? (laughs) Got it. (laughs) Boom. See you next year, bitch. And then he does it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just funny. (laughs) So that's a newer one uh, that just came out on Netflix, so I I pinged it. I recommend it. It's, It's good. Uh, but like I say, be prepared to get really pissed off for uh, a good hour or two after you watch it. Um, <laughs> and then the Would you compare it to like the Big Short or Vice, like those. It's uh, it's McKay? similar, yeah. It's similar because okay. the the I mean, you're kind of watching. It's like it's a real subject, and lots of people got fucked over. But at the same time, they do it with sort of a wink, wink, twinkle in their eye kind of a deal. It's just a weird. It's a weird subgenre that these have cropped up. Because it's almost like black comedy, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's that kind Sex, of Sex, lies, and money laundering. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, okay. So yeah, so it's fun. And then the other one I watched was one that just came out and I've been waiting for. Uh, I think I'm going to get a groan from Eric or just a meh. But uh, Dolomite is my name with Eddie Murphy. <laughs> is it out? It came, oh, fuck yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, I no. Really that's Ray that. Rudy Moore, yeah. the avenging disco godfather. Yeah, the Rudy Ray Moore. It's, uh, it's really fun. It's nice to see Eddie Murphy having fun for a change because he's been really quiet professionally for a long time now and a couple of things that he's done lately have just been blech. Uh, 
and even the stuff he did before he sort of took that weird hiatus was like Norbert and the Nutty Professor bullshit, and it just it wasn't funny. This he's literally uh, doing something that looks like a passion project, and he's having the time of his fucking life. You can just tell. I, I thought this was getting theatrically released. I, it's like all the Netflix stuff; they put it out in the theaters. But then they almost immediately put it out on the platform. Huh. I think it's the same way Pandora has that one radio station in the middle of Idaho, so they can say that they're you know a broadcast network. <laughs> well, yeah. so they yeah. probably have Academy some Award consideration. Yeah, right? yeah they have some theater, theater somewhere that they show this junk. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's on Netflix if you want to watch it, uh, and it's it's funny, but it's also uh, it's sort of like the urban version of Ed Wood. Because it's basically just every, right. everything leading up to him let's going. Let's make a movie. Yeah, let's make yeah. a Dolomite movie, and then the rest, the second half of the movie is just all about them making the Dolomite movie. Uh, <laughs> and it's really, if you like watching stuff about how people make stuff like that, it's fun because it's just all the typical pitfalls. I mean, it follows a lot of the same biopic uh, blueprint. So it's there's never anything where you're going, oh, that's so sad, or oh, great, because you always know that he's gonna overcome the hurdle and get to the next step, obviously. But they do it with such glee that it's just infectious, and it's so profane. Oh my god, the thing is what just an a, Eddie Murphy film yeah. is profane. Well, you haven't seen it in a while, but it's like because Dolomite Ray Moore or Ray Rudy Moore, his yeah. stand-up was always just about like you know pussy and assholes yeah, yeah. and like. And not even necessarily even funny, just just really yeah. And they and they dirty. cover that. They they start with Rudy Ray Moore sort of floundering, uh, and then he develops his Dolomite character based on stories he hears these crazy homeless guys talking about, and then sort of springboards into these comedy records, and then parlays that into the film, and then there's just sort of like the will it ever be a success. And then sort of springboarding from that, and then I'm like, and I'm watching him. I'm going, well, this is definitely just like Ed Wood. And then I looked at the credits, and it's written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, I guess is his name. And they're the same two guys that wrote Ed Wood. So right. it's like the DNA is all over this thing. Oh. It's so funny. Uh, but it's so they're re- re- recovering old ground. That's kind of sad. Uh, a little Unless bit. They were but hired to recover old ground. Could be. Could be. Uh, so it's not, or maybe they're just fascinated with, you know, B movie, C movie creation. Right. And, yeah. And that, yeah. That's their jam. So it's, it's I'm good with this. It's okay. And it's fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a blast. And then it's going to make you want to go out and watch Dolomite again. I guarantee it. Uh, which At Alamo draft house <laughs> yeah. is actually showing Dolomite this weekend. Oh, you need to go see it. It's so awful, <laughs> but so, so surreal and sublime at the same time. It's amazing. I, it's like, and if you get a chance, find a uh, uh, avenging disco Godfather or just disco Godfather. I'm not sure it goes yeah. by both titles. Yeah. It's equally horrible, but it's astonishing because he made it, uh, basically just, he gave up all of his, uh, royalties to his comedy records and basically self-financed this thing more or less and was on the verge of just collapsing financially and then it became a big deal i think it was like a 12 million dollar gross or something in 1975 which is just ridiculous <laughs> Dang. Uh, and that sort of set him up so yeah it's a it's a, a nice rags to riches kind of thing but it's just it's just fun uh the cast is really funny as well all the supporting players uh, 
you got uh, Keegan Michael Key is the is the screenwriter slash actor in the movie. Uh, Craig Robinson is the guy that does the music, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just <laughs> it's just really funny. I highly recommend it because it's just f bomb after f bomb, and it's nice to see Eddie Murphy back doing that. That's my uh, that's my two cents. <laughs> so yeah. Dolomite. Very cool. No, I've, that's been on my short short list. I didn't. I've been looking for it to come to theaters, and I guess I should be looking yeah. at Netflix. Sucker. So, <laughs> so now I'm gonna pass the mic. Uh, come on, Brian. Do anything you like. Yes, yes, y'all. And you and you don't <laughs> stop. Uh, you don't stop. <laughs> um, Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, so I'm going to just tag up on the show Undone on Amazon Prime that I've been watching. That's the one with the the rotoscoped animation starring the woman from Alita Battle Angel and uh, Bob Odenkirk. Um, so it's the show about a, a, a girl who's either completely insane or is transcending time and space. And it's been ambiguous the entire time. And so finally, in the last couple of episodes, everything's coming to a head. And then it ends ambiguously. And it was so irritating. <laughs> um, so uh, I assume that that's them trying to get another season. I don't know. But but it was like all build up and no payoff. And so fuck you, Undone. So would you say... like? It- if you ever had an opportunity to make a Netflix series for the first season, would you sew it all up into a nice bow or would you leave it open? Yeah, I I like when they have a long-term plan, but also a season arc that ends. Yeah, okay. Right? So I think you need to tell a complete story and then have um, a play, you know, a world that you've built that you can tell other stories in. Okay. You, you know, I was thinking about this after Joker, the idea that either... The- he became the Joker or it was in his head. And I realized the the reason that feels um, unsatisfying if it was all in his head is you need to make the concept that it all happened in his head at least as interesting as the concept of it's all real. So whenever mm-hmm. they do that, it could be this or it could be that. You kind of need to make both of them, you know, interesting options. I mean, so un- I, Undone I, actually succeeds on that level. The problem oh, really? is I kind of wanted to know which it was and uh, you don't get the, it's like the story just kind of stops. Yeah. Okay. They got to make a second season, right? But they shouldn't have had to, like they shouldn't have expected to. This thing is obviously made for 12 bucks <laughs> and you know, I you made got that. your shot, take your shot. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Well, that's like uh end of the fucking world is about to come back for a second season. And uh, I'm interested to see how they pull that off because the first season ended pretty much ended. So you know, yeah. And it's based, so I don't think we need another season of End of the Fucking World. I, I mean, Joker is like now the the highest grossing R-rated film ever, and they're gonna try and make a sequel. And it's like, or you could just leave it alone as a good movie. Well, there's a, and stop that. Yeah, right? there's a push to this will this will tie in nicely to today's discussion. Yeah. Well, there's a push mm. on the Joker movie people are talking like just hey, hey DC don't do a sequel make it an anthology series do something else yeah. 
just in oh the, a whole series of of Joker origin stories that are totally different. I'd actually yeah. be down with that. Like the Lego, yeah, the I Lego want, Joker. I want them to do a serious Riddler movie yeah. for once. Yeah, that'd be something. So yeah, do like a like a DC Rogues Gallery or a Batman's Rogues Gallery sort of series of films. I don't know. All right. So other fresh shit. Uh, I'll also try to go quickly through this. I went and saw A Wall Nation live at the Arizona State Fair. Is that the what's their um, song? We are young. No, it's, no, that's the guy with uh, Sale was his big hit. Okay. It was in a bunch of car commercials. All right. Um, then his second album was called Run, and it was an excellent album that didn't have anywhere near as big a hits. Um, guy's got a great live set. He's got a really good drummer. Um, the keyboards are being played live, which is nice. It's not just like the guitarist programmed his laptop. Um, solid show and like no one was there it was really kind of disappointing the veterans memorial coliseum um you know i went to the same venue for the pat benatar show a couple weeks back and i don't even think there was a thousand people yeah you know in this arena and so security is bringing everybody up front and you know and so there was a tight-knit group of people in the front quarter of the of the stadium and then just an empty hollow shell of a building it was that way when i saw it was that way when I saw Weezer a couple of years ago. I think that place just has a hard time getting people to come in. I think any show I've ever seen at Veterans is uh, like half full. Like I saw Kiss oh, there. When I saw, saw Bullet Go, there. it was like bursting. Really? Yeah. It just depends on the. Yeah. I saw Depeche Mode okay. there once okay. and it was full up. You know, it, okay. I mean, they can fill it, but yeah, I guess AWOL Nation is kind of in this funny spot where I guess their target audience is, I don't know, maybe in their mid 20s now. And they're probably seen as a one-hit wonder. And also, it's a rock band for a generation that's really more into hip-hop. Yeah. So I think, yeah. you know, also, it's been a while since their last album. Their new album drops, like, next month. And so I think it was just bad timing on their part. But they have a great show and a great live show. And if you're into their music, I'd say check them out. They're better live, the especially their most recent album, better live than recorded. I'll say that. Okay. AWOL Nation. Um, AWOL Nations. I got I got two movies, one that will definitely make you groan, and that one, of course, <laughs> is Maleficent, uh, Mistress of Evil. I'm yeah. so meh. I'm so just meh on that. I don't care either way. I was meh on the first one, and I went and saw the second one because, you know, there was just nothing last weekend. Yeah. Um, I mean, to its credit, it did unseat Joker, right? Uh, everybody went and saw this one over. Yeah, but Joker then has unseated it again this week. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, <laughs> yawn. That was um, a big yawn. Okay. Maleficent, Mistress, it's the most ornate movie. Oh, my God. Like, there is, it, it's, it's really, really not for you. It's really not for me, right? It's, this is Lord of the Rings for eight-year-old girls. <laughs> There's your okay. tagline right there. It's, you it's need to write Avatar Disney. Avatar levels of world building and effects. Like, there's so much <laughs> detail in this movie about nothing that anybody cares about. It's Lord um, of the Rings for eight-year-old girls. Brian Kruger. <laughs> <laughs> if this doesn't get the costumes Oscar... Uh, there's something wrong. The costumes are freaking awesome. Like, as a person who doesn't really pay attention to this, you cannot help but notice the great costumes. Okay. Like, uh, Maleficent herself, her first two outfits, one, their whole headpiece and and uh, shoulders and stuff of her outfit is made out of snake skins. 
And then her second outfit, all that shit is made out of bird skulls. Like, it's just amazing <laughs> costume work. Maleficent sounds really goth, man. She's totally she's goth. She's a dragon. Yeah, okay. She's but that's dragon. the thing, is like, they've they've figured out how to make, this is a Disney film, this is like the most Disney film. Um, they figured out how to make a costume for every girl who goes to see this, right? So the goth chicks can do several different Maleficent looks, and the princess chicks can do several different Princess Aurora looks, and then Michelle Pfeiffer is our baddie in this, and she's the, the queen, and she's just got all of these really, really ornate you know, bejeweled things. Uh, anyway, so much effort, <laughs> so much design, so much talent into such a nothing movie. That's why. That sounds like all of the Star Wars prequels you've just described as well. <laughs> so. No, no. I think I think this might have better effects than the Star Wars prequels. Uh, one would hope so. One would hope so. Um, there's a there's a hedgehog character that's way better. That would have worked as the Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, I think if it was just blue, yeah, and it makes friends with little mushroom guys, so there's sort of a Sonic and Toad thing going on. Okay, um, yeah. I, did it get I, you I between nothing... the video game kingdoms? Yeah, <laughs> but but did it get you ready for Frozen Two? That's the big question. Well, so there was a trailer for Frozen Two in front of it. Okay, and first of all, the trailer for Frozen Two, I saw it in 2D, but clearly you want to see Frozen Two in 3D. The way it is, I, I'm pretty sure I don't want to see it at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you do. Though. I'm pretty sure uh, I don't either. The first one was absolutely <laughs> tuneless. I did not understand why anybody hums this. This yeah, no, no, Eric, no. Eric, yeah. Eric. Let it go. So uh, let it go. <laughs> let it go. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. So yeah, the first Frozen, I mean, was clearly from the first frames. It's like, oh, so Disney knows they're going to make a Broadway stage musical of this. They know, you know, it's definitely a musical. Weird thing about the Frozen Two trailer, no songs. Yeah. Well, how can you top like, that? That thing was like Titanic level big. It's like, how do you even bother, like, making something that's going to compete? So, you know, I get yeah, that. I, I mean, somebody's had the job of like, okay, now you got to write the score for Frozen 2. Good luck, fuckers, right? And <laughs> yeah. It's like the same poor jerks who had to write, okay, Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah. <laughs> this, write some new songs for that. <laughs> this is a job for Elton John. Boom. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Maleficent. I mean, if you've got an eight-year-old girl, she'll probably really dig it. And Whoa. it's really not for anybody else. Okay. Um, so now, now palate cleanser, palate cleanser, uh, had the opportunity to go, it's only showing in one theater, but I went and saw Parasite. Ooh, I keep hearing this is a good one. Yeah. Uh, Parasite, what's the name of the, the director? He made, um, Snowpiercer and Okja, uh, soon I'm going to get it wrong. Um, it's, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm anyway. it up. Snowpiercer. Which I always call Snowpecker. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, Bong Joon-ho. Boop. Bong Joon-ho. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so this movie won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Um, and I can I can see... This is a really good movie. Uh, <laughs> Maybe the best movie I've seen all year. Really? Uh, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of terrible movies this year. But uh, this is not a terrible movie. This is a really good one. Um, the plot is essentially about this family that lives, like, at the ass end of the worst alley in South Korea. It's like 
their their apartment is half underground and their window is at the in the corner of the alley where the drunks piss and they have to make sure they close their window so they don't get their house peed in. Um and one of them manages to uh lie his way into this job being the English tutor for this rich family that lives um it you know lives this life of luxury and then he slowly finds ways to get all of his the rest of his family employed by this family but really and and they're they're pretty on the nose about it they keep saying you know everything is metaphorical this whole movie is metaphors uh, it's a class struggle movie it's it's a um you know it, it's about economic disparity and inequality it's about how you know people will lie and cheat to give their friends a leg up but the, how the underclass will ultimately fuck each other over uh in order to gain you know just a little bit of the scraps of of what the upper class has and uh the cinematography is fantastic the use of stairs as a visual metaphor is uh it's very on the nose but it's it's really well i mean everything like every shot i think has a staircase and the positions of characters on the stairs uh, is, is relevant. Um, really, really good stuff. Uh, recommend it. It does get twisty, turny. Uh, about halfway through, so I don't want to spoil much about it. Um, it's in Korean. It's subtitled. Uh, I think one of the jokes that is maybe a little too on the nose for an English speaking audience, but maybe it wasn't picked up by a Korean audience, is that the rich guy, uh, has made his money. He works at a tech company that's making some kind of weird VR thing. But the name of the company, it's like the only English text that appears in the entire film is the name of this guy's company, which is named Another Brick. (laughs) (laughs) Bravo. Yeah. Well done. Nice. (laughs) In looking up uh, Snowpecker on uh, uh, Wikipedia, I see they've made a TV series of Snowpiercer. They have, yeah. And it's going to be on TBS? And Ooh, I hope it's why? like I hope it's like Super Train. <laughs> yeah, that would me be too. amazing. That'd be amazing. Jennifer Connolly <laughs> is the voice of the train. The, uh, the, the, the the that odd Scottish actress did in the movie, but this is going to be horrible. And it's already been renewed for a second season. What? Well, if you watch it, it's let TBS. me know if, if they show up in a disco car. All a yeah. Super Train. Okay. Oh, TBS oh, and, stands and for just, television. Basically, sucks. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In closing, I just want a, a, a quick one from NPR. I was listening to a story on the the riots in uh, Hong Kong, and the name of the Chinese police officer, police chief, is Young Men Poon. I had to share that Young Men Poon. <laughs> that is. Really? You guys aren't laughing your asses off? I nearly from, drove from off WGH, the road. Young men poon. This has been NPR. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. No, nothing will uh, will top when I came into LA one time, and it was like 2 in the morning, and we'd taken a wrong turn. We're up like north, like Burbank somewhere, and off in the corner was a... <laughs> was a restaurant called the Pooping Palace. Yeah, <laughs> I remember the Pooping Palace. <laughs> and that's, uh, that, well, nothing compares to that one still. The, the one that sticks with me is when I was working as a telemarketer and I had to call a, a lead, and the lead's name, first name, P-H-O-U-C, last name, N-G-O. Yeah, can I speak to <laughs> fuck, fuck no? no. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's nice. good. Anyway, okay. that's good. Well, um, names are funny. <laughs> 
Hooray! Yes. <laughs> Especially if they're 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 from 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 uh, um um the the the, the uh, other. Can I say Orient? I'm not allowed to say the Orient, am I? Yeah, no. the, you know, we don't, don't know. Yeah, we're white men. But I am making fun of their America. names, so maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, it really, doesn't. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Thanks for the kind thoughts. Uh, uh, that's fresh it. Yes, okay. freshy it. So, Star Trek. Who wants to talk Star Trek? I do. I do. I do. Oh, Yay. me, definitely me. <laughs> I, for those who don't know chris has no interest in star trek uh, it's just and not brian and i have been like star trek geeks since what childhood uh it, i mean i wasn't as into the original series as you may have been eric um uh-huh. but next generation got me but good and then i was pretty hardcore for a while there yeah throughout most of the 90s whereas yeah i, I, I did I, other stuff yeah I, I'm just I'm fascinated with this premise that every time Star Trek is like just on the balls of its ass, just not relevant, just you know, low budget, Hail Mary pass type stuff, it's really good. But as soon as somebody looks at it as a money making franchise, it falls <laughs> apart. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. What I like I that. that that is a yeah. good thesis. The the okay, so for those not not aware uh, Star Trek starts in 1966 as just another TV show on NBC. Doesn't get great ratings because it's not really aimed at, you know, the parents. And it gets announced that it's going to get canceled in its second season. There's a letter writing campaign to keep it alive for one more season, which they do. They and slash it's written the off budget, as a, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they, they, that leads to such great episodes as Spock's Brain. Spock's Brain. Spock's yeah. Brain, it, yeah. It, yeah. It's like there are some uh, great episodes in the third series, but there are some that are just really restricted by the budget. But anyway, it, it, it's written off as a failure. Desilu sells the, the rights and the, the episodes to Paramount, and Paramount puts it in, into syndication just to recoup losses. And it takes off. And yeah, it, it, it becomes just enough episodes huge. to be in syndication, like a hundred, right? Like even. <laughs> and it gets more views, like as a syndicated show, than it ever did on NBC. So they make an animated show. Well, from it doesn't hurt that the, the Apollo mission goes to the moon and suddenly interest in space. You well, know, there was already up. heavy interest in space leading up well, to sure. it because we were trying to get to the moon. That's, but I think, that's I the think weird that's what thing. gives it legs in the early seventies and keeps yeah. it going in syndication. I'm I, yeah. I, like one of the early episodes, I can't remember which episode aired aired the night before Gus Grissom and White and Chaffee died in the capsule. Uh so it was going on like right at the time. Hmm. Uh but they put out this this animated show in seventy two, seventy three voiced by everyone from the TV show, because they were easy to get. And it is hugely popular with, you know, the kids watching. Nerds, and yeah. <laughs> it is the only Star Trek show to get a non-technical Emmy. Really? That's hmm. that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah, that is good. Well, uh, So, yes, so it, it's like, okay, it's all of this sort of, well... We got this Star Trek thing. What are we going to do with it? I don't know. We'll put some crap out. And it keeps succeeding. 
So they decide to start trying to make a second Trek show, Star Trek Phase 2, and it takes forever. They decide they're going to make a Paramount TV network. They, 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 they put all this money into this network and into this show, and then the whole idea of the network folds, so it can't have the show. So they decide to make it, take everything they've done for the show and make a movie, which ends up as Star Trek, the motion picture, <sighs> which it, it, it made money. But the problem is they folded the costs of an entire failed TV network into the production costs of the film. So this film on paper costs like, you know, $500 million or something. And it could in no way make that money back. But the yeah. expectations were high that it was going to make a huge amount of money. And so the film is shit. Well, because it followed Star Wars, right? Like, so yeah. motion picture comes out in 79. Star Wars, you know, ha- had been out for a couple years. And, you know, they had the, sec- the second biggest sci-fi license of all time. And this huge they, budget behind it, but well, yeah, uh, there was there was a lot of interest though in sci-fi because Alien came out around the same time, yeah. and okay. I'm trying to think like the, like Battlestar Galactica and just a ton of science well, I mean, fiction Roger that was popular. Yeah, we we have a whole series of podcasts about things that are riding the Star yeah. Wars way. Well, right? also but, point of right. point of uh, procedure. Uh, way back at the early stages of this particular podcast, I think it was like episode six. We we covered a lot of ground on the original series stuff into yeah. the movies. Yeah. So I've I know all of this. Uh, yeah. So that's that's where I that's like the the limit of my Trek knowledge more or less. Right. So yeah, I'm, Star yeah, Trek and Two again, saves the franchise. It becomes popular. Blah well, blah well, blah. Wait, hey, but but Go going too fast. No no no. Hold up. Okay. So this this film it does well, but it doesn't do great and. Paramount decides, okay, we're not going to put any more money into this shit because it's a false promise. Every time we think we're going to make a lot of money, we don't. <laughs> and so they, when, when they try and get a second Star Trek film greenlit, it's only with a bare-bones budget. And so with a bare-bones budget, without much expectation, they make one of the best films of all time. Again, Countering expectations. It does really well because it doesn't cost much. And they keep fucking this up throughout the course of Star Trek. <laughs> so it's so Star Trek in this scenario is sort of like one of those weird houseplants where if you give it too much attention, it will die. Yes. Yes. yes okay. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the trick is to just ignore it. <laughs> it's the only plant in my house yeah. that survives. <laughs> yeah. 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 At one point, uh, uh, Star Trek is known on the Paramount lot simply as the franchise. It is that thing that gets them cash that sort of funds all their other flops. And so they'll they'll pay only so much money to make a Star Trek film, but they, they do everything they can to make sure they're getting uh, a good return. And the films end up doing pretty well. The Next Generation was looked at as something that was going to fail, because everyone said you can't make lightning strike twice. You can't do a Star Trek without the original cast. Well, and I want to I want to put a thing here because a Shatner joint. Yeah, because here's the thing. One of the big concerns about Next Generation was Star Trek is about the Holy Trinity, it's about Kirk, Spock, and Bones. Right? It's about these three characters, yeah. and you can't just come up with a whole bunch of new characters, and no one's going to care. And I think that the people who said that have a point and we're going to get there yeah. as we get going 
Except that yeah. it turns out the com- characters they came up with for Next Generation, the characters that Gene Roddenberry came up with, I might even add, uh, and the actors <laughs> they cast uh, really clicked with people. Yes and no. I mean, remember, they had to get rid of Denise Crosby because nobody cared. Yeah. Right. Uh, they they got rid of the doctor in the second season because one of the writers didn't like uh, Gates McFadden. Uh, nobody ever liked Wesley. I mean, there were some clunkers, and they had to they had to bump Worf up. Worf was more interesting than I think they thought he was going to be. Well, sure. As but, the- but, but I but you're right. It's like this was the first proof that you know what? Not only is Star Trek popular, but we can make Star Trek out of anything. We well, can, as we can, the- as long as we have a concept and actors, we can do it. As the non trekker uh, when Next Generation came out, so was it like 88, something like that? Uh, 87. Yeah. It was somewhere around there. Uh, I was actually sort of intrigued, and so I did watch uh, that first couple of episodes, but I gave up really quickly because as I was watching it, I was basically saying so, and this is my main beef with all of these Star Trek shows, is that they take this template and then they just sort of tweak it enough to go, no, it's a new show. Uh, see, it's not a Vulcan. We've got a, an actual Cleon on here. And then Data is sort of the analytical side. So that's not Spock. That's not Spock. Yeah. Uh, and then, so they kind of tweak that. And then you've got the sort of the, the flawed but heroic captain, etc., uh, etc. Et so it's always the same archetypes for their crew. They just change it up. Just enough well, to where it's yeah, not a carbon that first coffee. Season of of Next Generation is is pretty shit, actually. Yeah, and they're yeah. feeling their way moments. through. Yeah, but the thing, yeah, eventually they get to a point where they realize these characters are their own characters, and they get away from trying to recreate right. the original series, and they become the first show to have arcing storylines over several episodes, and that's I think where things get interesting. That's where characters really develop, and things that happen in an episode have lasting effects the way they do with people. Yeah. Now I think that's what made it so interesting. But again, that goes from being something nobody has high expectations of to being the highest rated syndicated show in history. And so they say, let's do it again. And they make more next generations. They do a deep, deep space nine and Voyager they, they start making next generation films. They just churn shit out until like the mid late nineties. Everyone's going, I've had it. Stop it. I don't want any more Star Trek. <laughs> Enough <laughs> with the Trek already. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah. yeah. They make, they, they make enterprise because Voyager goes off the air and they need to make, you know, more Star Treks because that's, that's, you know, cash in hand. It fails. Uh, it goes, now, goes away you- after four Seasons. Do you think Enterprise and after that they sell they sell the whole thing to CBS and CBS says we're not making another Star Trek this is stupid <laughs> <laughs> and then twenty years later do you think Enterprise failed because of the theme song I just want to know your opinion I on think it's that. part of it long road, getting from I think it's part of it is the theme song. I think part of it is the promise that we're going to show the early 
you know, like stages of yeah, interstellar exploration. For yeah. sure. And it really, really all it, the whole show became uh, uh, tie-ins to episodes you've already seen of Star Trek. Yeah. Remember the transporters? This is how like, the transporters happen. Yeah, but it had that problem where, like, they're trying to say the technology is worse, but it's kind of not. Yeah. You know? Well, this, this, um, was, this sums it up for me, that point right there, is I actually just randomly happened to cross a Next Generation rerun this week, and it was the one where Scotty shows up, and he'd been trapped in a transporter loop for, like, 80 years and yeah. so the opening of the show is like, oh my God, it's miraculous. You're such a genius for saving yourself in the transporter loop. And then when he's out, he wants to know everything. And they're like, well, no, you're just a doddering old man. And we'll get to you, la, la, la. And that sort of sets the plot in motion. And that, to me, is, epitomizes everything about all of the shows that came after the original Star Trek. It's just sort of like, well, here's the nod to the old show, but no, uh, you just kind of sit over there. You're fine. I, I just can't watch him. I can't do it. I don't know what the deal is. So, Eric, I thought I thought that we were going to try and focus on Deep Space Nine and Voyager on this episode, or what? what yeah, was, okay. I wanted to just, I guess I wanted to give the lay of the land, though, and say, you know, Deep Space Nine and Voyager are, I don't know, I think they're artistic failures. I, I was really into Voyager at first, but then I was really high on Star Trek in the 90s. But really, <laughs> they just... Yeah come up short because they're trying to recreate the next generation, which nobody saw coming. Yeah. And this no. is where I think it comes down to the characters. So, so yeah. deep space nine was interesting in that it was kind of a bridge show that started running concurrently with next generation. And, yeah. um, they were trying where Star where star Trek was supposed to be wagon train to the stars. This was sort of gun smoke because it all takes place in one area on this one uh, space station where people show up and people leave. Maybe it's just well, me. I watch it. I think it's uh, like Star Trek's version of F Troop. <laughs> I mean, it's that funny. It's, <laughs> neither was F Troop. It was hilarious. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It, it's Star Trek's version F-troop of. F Troop was hilarious. <laughs> you shut your mouth. Let the man speak. <laughs> It's, it's Star Trek's version of, oh, thank God Gene Roddenberry's dead. Now let's break all of his rules, but we're going to do it in a way that fits in with Gene Roddenberry's rules. So yeah. Gene Roddenberry's rules are that humanity has evolved so far by the time of Star Trek that we really don't have any conflict within you know, the human race. And really, we don't have any conflict within the Federation. So, you know, it's hard to write drama. And... but. Deep Space Nine. But, but if I may, yeah. if I may, though, his his other rule was the conflicts are all current conflicts, not space conflicts. That's why he came up with the Ferengi, because he wanted to uh, say something about the capitalist swine of the 80s. Right. So, you know, it's all supposed to be metaphor. Um, but But the writers were, like, getting so frustrated because... Constantly having a crew that had no conflict with each other made for boring television, especially if your budget yeah. was getting cut and you couldn't have guest stars or anything. So Deep Space Nine was designed to be the anti-Star Trek, right? It was, uh, it's going to be in a contested territory. The people who, the locals don't necessarily like or trust the Federation. The captain is not, he doesn't have the uh, confidence of his crew, He's not a captain, even. Yeah, we're going to have factions called the Maquis who have broken off from the Federation who are pissed off because of what's been going on with this war. There's just 
there's just all kinds of like built-in conflict in this in this show. And and again, the metaphors are all it's the Middle East. Yep. You have you have this wormhole that that provides easy transport to everybody, which is like the oil that we get from the Middle East. They're the people who live there who like stake a claim to it. They're the people who were occupying them as a military force who want it. It's it's like yeah, it's rich in metaphors for the Middle East. Yeah. And it's kind of dull. Um <laughs> <laughs> that's it, shocking it, that I that I would hear you say that. Yeah, it it doesn't really pick up for me until it starts getting heavy into this like big long multi-season arc where there's this giant war between several several races and yes it's very very much uh derivative of Babylon 5 um mm-hmm. but if you can get over that it stands on its own i mean Babylon 5 is a really good template to rip off and they grew their characters in interesting ways and eventually i think built their own little cult following in in a way, I think it might have been, by the end of Deep Space Nine, an example of what you're talking about, Eric, which is when their back was against the wall because the show wasn't doing very well, it got better. Yeah, they were free to do whatever they wanted. And <laughs> I do like, I like Deep Space Nine in those later seasons because it basically grows into a show that is not recognizably Star Trek. It becomes its own thing. Right. It's it's a it, war. <laughs> yeah. It's like you you there are people I'm sure who were Deep Space 9 fans who didn't care about Star Trek. They just thought this show is working. I knew some of them. They, I mm-hmm. worked with some of them. They were like you know, they would talk about how cool that was and they wished Star Trek itself was this interesting. The Gem Hadar are a great <laughs> bad guy. See, this you the mean? Deep Space 9 would come on in syndication and that that was one that I would tune in on like a Saturday afternoon because I didn't have cable or anything if I was really, really extra super bored and I would sit through them and I honestly couldn't recall anything from any episode that I ever watched. (laughs) Well, I don't know how approachable Deep Space Nine was. I mean, so the thing about Next Generation was every episode basically was its complete story. You could probably show... You could show most of Next Generation out of sequence and you wouldn't care. Um, the, there were a, a few episodes that, that were impactful that, that reverberated throughout the rest of the show. But, but Deep Space Nine is really a serial. And if you just pop in in the middle, you know, people will say a line with so much you know, dripping with meaning. But if you haven't seen the episodes where that meaning was explained, it, it just whizzes right past you yeah i mean eric you can say the jemhadar are a cool enemy okay there are episodes where they just talk about the jemhadar and you don't see them but but by referencing them they're evoking something that you may or may not have any notion of yeah right so the the jemhadar are like these soldiers that are uh driven by this you know they're basically bane they've got like this chemical substance that they dose on and that makes them super soldiers the white yeah yeah and and so they are they're the foot soldiers of this uh larger set of manipulative races in this big war well it's so, complicated so deep space nine was the one with the 
the evil empire was what the Cardassians at first, and then they 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 had to compete for being evil empire with a number of different evil empires. Okay, but it started with them, yeah. Okay, see, it's just it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, so it's, that's what made it so interesting to me was how complex the politics got. It's kind of like. It, 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 I, I'm not necessarily a fan of the romance story in Casablanca, but I'm really interested in the geopolitics. Okay. And then what was... so? And er- also the fact that uh, the captain of the Deep Space Nine was Hawk from Spencer for Hire. That didn't hurt. <laughs> Did that not do it for you? Okay. Uh, so the, what are the alien races that they introduce in Deep Space Nine? Because I honestly can't keep track of them all. But there's oh, like the, the girl that has like the ridges on the top of her, like the bridge Those of her nose. Are, that's Bajorans. Okay. Yeah, they they were introduced in in uh, Next Generation. Though. Okay, and weren't they? They're not. Uh, they're not particularly pleasant as a an alien race, are they? They're, they're the they're religious ones. Okay. Yeah they're, yeah, they're the religious zealots whose homeland is being fought over. Can by everybody you, else. I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Can you come up with a Bajoran pejorative? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ruffles has ridges. Yeah. Because it just seemed like every time they introduce an, a new species, they always have to do some riff on what they did with the Klingon. So it's like that, just there's some sort of ridgy thing. Uh, and then well, like the Ferengi so have ways like, that you yeah. can do makeup on a budget, yeah. right? Like, well, if. Like the Ferengi have like the big giant ear holes and stuff. I remember those. Yeah, well, they're they're okay. yeah their makeup is actually really great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, the Ferengi they were introduced in, in Next Generation. The Cardassians yeah. I think were introduced the, in Next Generation, but it might have been a setup for yeah. Space Nine. Okay. Best of uh, well, no, not best of both worlds. Yeah. The um, it was I can't remember, but it's the one where they capture Picard and torture him. It was like yeah. That was really a big good. ad for Amnesty International. But uh <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's the changelings which, you know, yeah. is, we we meet with Odo and then we find out it's a whole planet of them. A whole planet of evil ones. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then um what was the name of the race? Uh Jeffrey Coombs was their was their main guy that was just like the super like creepy reptilian political assholes. Yeah. I can't think of their name. Obviously it's been a while. Um, been a while. <laughs> been a while. But they were uh, they were new from Deep Space Nine, and then they brought in the Jim Hadar. Um, uh, so how how would this uh, parlay into Voyager then? Like, did they both play con- Vorta? Con- did they play con- there you Vorta? Go. The Vorta. Okay. So Voyager was the replacement show for Next Generation. So Next but Generation. Did, so that was ended. But did they play concurrently Voyager and Deep Space Nine? Yes, but that's okay. the thing. So, so next generation is ending, and then, um, and they're going to go off and they make say movies. we want it. Yeah, they were like Paramount Network wants a Star Trek because we own Star Trek, and goddamn it, we're going to have a ship based show. We want ships. ships right, are cool. Okay. Deep Space yeah. Nine doesn't have a ship. But, yeah. but meanwhile, things have gotten <laughs> so plotty and convoluted over here in the Alpha Quadrant, where Deep Space Nine and Next Generation have been taking on. We're going to take that ship. We're going to chuck it into a totally uncharted part of space. And we're going to get Star Trek back to exploring strange new worlds, right? <laughs> yeah. And well, this, one, this one for me, it's, is it just me, or does this one feel a little bit too much like Lost in Space? It's got a Gilligan's uh, Island Lost in got Space that. thing going on. Okay. Um, and they try the fun, to build conflict f- in by having Maquis on the ship. Um, is that, uh, really what's his name? 
what's his name? Chakotay? Chakotay. Okay, the guy with the, the face who tattoo. Is, okay. Who is Raul from Eating Raul. Yeah. He was also in, uh, oh, what was the one? Never mind. I'll Nixon. think of it. But I, what I liked Pilfer. about... Yeah. His name is Robert Beltran. <laughs> the thing I liked about Voyager was that they could introduce new bad guy alien species, and if it didn't work out, that's okay, because they're they're still booking it for home. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be out of their space in like a matter of an episode, and we can be done with them. Yeah. Uh, it's like, like, I didn't care about the the Oglala or whatever they were. The mo- the the ones with the weird the Kazons. Yeah. Yes, yeah, didn't the care. Kazon. They just no look like Rastafarian aliens. Yeah. The phage is- were pretty awesome. The phage <laughs> yeah. would just kidnap people and steal their organs cuz they had you a guys, disease that was wasting them. You got to appreciate how ridiculous you both sound to me right now. I'm like, I don't even know. You're making this shit up. You could be saying nonsense and I would have no idea. I'd be just like, okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's Voyager, sure. We should just do that. Oh, I know that. Yeah. We've already made up a few. I know. That's my feeling. Yeah. I well, talked okay. to Brian before the show and I was like, I'm telling you, Vorta, go with uh, Vorta. Make some shit up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna Google it, so that's a safe call. <laughs> but Voy- this is another one too where it's like I tried to watch I tried to watch Voyager and it was the same thing. I was like, uh, this is just no. Nah, no, nah, I'm done. Because it's another sort of diluted twist on the the template. And so in this one, instead of like uh Worf and Data uh, you've got the hologram doctor played by Robert Picardo, which is the thumbs up. But then yep. they've got like the the Borg chick, uh, yeah, seven, seven of nine. nine, seven of nine. Yeah, and it's sort of like uh, so. Basically, you have to a have course s- correction. She doesn't show up till season four. Really? Okay. Yeah. Maybe that uh, then I really didn't watch enough of it. But it always yeah. seems like you have to have like a cold, unfeeling character to sort of reflect all of the humanity. Uh, yeah. to the audience. It just seems like that's their lazy story trick. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. The thing <laughs> about Voyager, two things. One is, I think that had it come along, had had the next generation in 1987 just been Voyager, I think it would have been a much bigger hit. I think it definitely showed up at a time when we were just tired of Star Trek, like like Eric says, just saturation bombing. We've got next generation movies going on, and we've got the Deep Space Nine is still on TV, and now Voyager is on, and we just got done with Next Gen. And hey, who are these characters? I don't care about them. Yeah, can we well, stop it with the Star Trek already? Well, I think it, it was the added bonus too that Next Generation sort of broke open the door for syndicated sci-fi. And so, in addition mm-hmm. to like Babylon Five, you've got they did the Highlander show. You got Buffy yeah. coming in at the tail end. It was even you Hercules and Zena, Zena. Yeah, really. Zena and Hercules. So it was just I think the buffet was getting too full. Now, Voyager at that time. actually did launch the Paramount Network. Uh, the thing that Star Trek Phase Two was supposed to do, Voyager actually does for UPN, the United Paramount Network. Oh, was, I forgot about that. It was their flagship yeah. launch show. Um, it. It's not a bad Star Trek show, but it's not a great one either. It's a bad one. Uh, it's bad. Yeah. I, let, me, let me just put it this way, okay? At one point, UPN got uh, a WWE wrestling, and around the same time on Voyager, they go to a planet where they have a wrestling ring, and one of them fights The Rock. Oh, uh, is that on, I don't remember is that. that on YouTube? That's yeah, amazing. Uh, yeah. 
That's going to uh, be on Netflix yeah. for sure. At that point, I said, "Fuck you! I am, I am done. That is, that is, no." Well, here, I still don't know what happened to them. Here, here, see if yeah. you like this. This is the analogy that I came up with uh, heading into this show because I, as I mentioned, and as you have as well, I don't watch Star Trek and I don't really care. Uh, so you got original. I have not gotten that yeah. in this conversation. So, <laughs> so that's uh, new information. Ori- to me. So original Trek. Follow the analogy. Original Trek is sort of like Pepsi. It's the one everybody knows. It's the big brand. And so then they go, well, this is big. Let's see if we can figure this one out. And so then they do next gen and that's say, oh, I don't know, like Pepsi free. So it tastes like Pepsi, but there's just (laughs) something missing. Uh, So then they go to, so then they go to deep space nine and they're like, let's call it Pepsi light. Cause it's still sort of there and it's the brand. And then by the time you get to Voyager, it's like, uh, like crystal Pepsi. Pepsi. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that seem like that's a valid allegory? Absolutely. Yeah. I think you could do the same thing with beer and Voyager's like Bud Ice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but what I'm saying is, yeah. all I wanted At some was point, a. You've just got like bubbly brown <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But all, all I'm saying, all I wanted was a Pepsi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't fucking give it to me. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I've got two things about Voyager that I want to say before the podcast ends. The first is that Voyager kind of unforgivably, and it's not that that Next Generation wasn't already bringing us down this road, but just utterly ruins the best Star Trek bad guys in the Borg. Um, yeah. Do you God think it's a matter of going it. back to the well one too many times? Well, the the Borg were kind of unwritable. And again, I think Next Generation had the same problem. So Borg are introduced at, in season two of Next Generation. I remember watching this episode live as it broadcast in at Toby's house. And Q to teach Picard a lesson about his uh, his hubris sends him into a completely untenable situation where he's being targeted by a race that is just vastly outgunning everything the Federation has. They're unstoppable. They're unfeeling. You can't even really communicate with them or reason with them. They're one giant hive mind of millions of minds, and you're, you are but ants to them. And they're just going to crush you. They will follow this ship until you exhaust your fuel. They will wear down your defenses. Then you will be theirs. Admit it, Picard. You're out of your league. You should have stayed where you belong. It's kind of hard to keep coming up with ways to defeat them. In some ways, the Borg... First of all, I had not really seen Doctor Who by this point. So I did not realize how much the Borg structurally are the Cybermen. Yeah, Um, exactly. They're the Cybermen. They assimilate you. But from a writing standpoint, the Borg are the Daleks in that they are supposed to be this fearsome enemy and they used to be fearsome. But if you keep defeating them, they're not so fearsome anymore, are they? What are you going to do about that? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Voyager takes it several steps further by by having one ship with no support in Borg space not getting crushed over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I don't know. You don't care. I know you don't yeah, care. I, don't, yeah, I guess it's true. I don't care. Yeah. All I wanted was a fucking Pepsi. But Eric, Eric I, Borg? Borg? Okay, well, you know, here's my thing. The first, again, the original series, which is what I really enjoyed as a kid, had all this promise of other stories. The effects were bad, but you had you could do it in your head, what things looked like. You, the, mm-hmm. There was a lot of 
Okay, yeah, there's no other word for it. It's a lot of promise yeah. as to what this universe can give you. Well, I think, and then it, uh, all the subsequent shows decided to write out and give it to you. Yeah, and at some point, you're done. Well, it's it, like now you've explored all of the the corners that were hidden in shadows. Well, it's helpful that original Trek came to us when we were kids, and you're much more forgiving as a kid yeah. for stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But at the same time, if I was in my 20s or 30s, what else is like Star Trek that is not just science fiction, but takes it seriously? Yeah. You know, I mean, Lost in Space did not take science <laughs> oh, fiction God, seriously. Oh, God, no. God, did. no. Yeah. If you're, there was at today, least what an attempt to... Uh, yeah. The way huh? that Star Trek... I mean, maybe The Expanse, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I would say The Expanse yeah. is probably on par. Uh, but, but yeah, Trek definitely. Trek is kind of its own thing. And it's always been yeah. the gold standard. Everything looks like camp in retrospect, you know? Yeah. It's like at the time, it's fully, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's trying to be real. But, uh, I don't know. I think, I think that's the thing. It, Trek, you can't do it anymore because we've done it. <laughs> and I think those, those recent films, the three reboots or Kelvin timelines or whatever, were just 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 a shocking attempt to get more cash out of that franchise, and there's nothing left. I thought the first one was genius in that it's like, okay, fine, we'll go back to the characters that work, and we'll erase everything that happened so we don't have to care about continuity anymore. We don't yeah. have to have our heads up our own ass. And then they immediately undo that with the next movie made by the same people, and that was unforgivable. Well, I guess I... Th- I my, my problem, though, with those movies is the f- in happens in the first one, where... Okay, we're going to reset everything, which, yeah, great idea. It's a great excuse for rebooting, and it, 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 it makes sense. But then we're going to do the Kobayashi Maru, so that's still a thing. We're going to do uh, a mm-hmm. Captain Pike in a wheelchair, so that's still a thing. I mean, we're, we're basically going to rehash everything we know from the other show in, in an acceptable way. Well, but that's indicative of J.J. Abrams in general because he did the same thing with yeah. the Star Wars. So yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's all on him. That's all on him. Yeah. Oh God, this okay. new Star Wars looks like it's going to be more of that. Oh <laughs> yeah. my lord! And again, like every time you talk about Star Trek, at some point Star Wars has got to come in yoked at some point, right? Yeah, it's that's hard just, to avoid. Yeah. All right. So the other thing I wanted to say about Voyager is I wanted to compare the way Deep Space Nine ended with the way that Voyager ended. So Deep Space Nine had an ending with a denouement, right? Like the war ends and the character arcs resolve and they give us time to sort of say goodbye to them. And it was actually a really well-done ending for people who... It was like the last episode of MASH level of ending on this show. Like they really thought it it through. It ties up all the way back to the very first episode, which to me was, you know, like, that's 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 really awesome. If you plant a seed in the pilot and then you actually give it closure yep. in the end, that's Especially making, if that was the, one of the long-term. things you stole from Babylon 5. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Deep Space Nine had a super satisfying ending. Voyager had the most unsatisfying ending. Okay, so here we go. The last episode of Star Trek Voyager, Endgame. It's literally called Endgame. 
<laughs> um, Sweet. The first shot of the last episode of Voyager is the Voyagers back on Earth. They haven't explained how this happened. They haven't led up to this at all in any of the episodes. It's just home. And and so I'm watching the finale going, having seen the Deep Space Nine finale and, and wanting that kind of, of you know quality closure on this show, I've stuck with this damn thing for seven years. Yeah, they just got home. You know, Gilligan's home. Professor's home. Everybody's cool. <laughs> um, like Bobby Ewing, it was all a dream. And then, yeah. and then they go, well, and then they go and and they don't. So I'm like, okay, maybe we'll get to see sort of the denouement. Like what happened to the people after they got home? No, they don't really do that. <laughs> they do a time travel Sweet. story where Janeway goes back to the Voyager because they didn't get home fast enough. So she's going to get them home faster and bring in the Borg Queen from the movies. And and then the last shot is the Voyager got home faster. The end. No more series. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, not only did they not give me the closure or the, or the, you know, what happened after, they did it twice in Man. one episode. <laughs> That's awesome. Can you imagine being in that story beating? Oh, that'd be awesome. Ugh. Like, hey, let's just bring them home. No, here's the idea. Let's bring them home faster, but we'll do it inside the episode where we bring them home. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Barf. <laughs> well, I'm sorry Such it was so disappointing ending. for you. I'm so sorry. I'm not. I'm not really. <laughs> uh. Uh. So that's what I have to say about that. Yeah. Well, tell us, tell us your closing thoughts on this, Eric. I already did. <laughs> it's better when they don't I have money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think that's why the J.J. Abrams Trek was was better. Was Star Trek was kind of dead. <laughs> yeah. And then I it wasn't. Yeah. And then it was dead again. Yeah. 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 It was just as bad as all the other ones. And of course, now the problem with all the new Treks is the thing you said about Enterprise. It's like they're all taking place earlier so we can do a reset. But they all have technology that's better than anything right. that was going on. Like, okay, no, no, that's cheating. Just don't call it Star Trek. Call it fucking any- call it the Orville. How about that? <laughs> yeah, call it the Orville. <laughs> well, because at least he has the balls to say, okay, whole new thing. Well, let me let me just ask you the quick poll, final poll. Uh, are you interested in this Picard series? Yes. Yes, because okay. I'm terrible. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's all you have here. to say. Uh, <laughs> good enough. Good enough. Uh, and I'll I'll be honest. I'm watching Discovery, and I enjoy it. Uh, I haven't done know, season but- two of Discovery yet. Season one, I watched, and I mean, I've talked about it on this show. They didn't address the the giant elephant in the room, which is the hey, wait a minute, why wasn't all Federation technology based off of this amazing thing that they've got? Yeah. Do they ever get around to saying why they they don't? Because it really yeah. seems like they should just be using that. Well, yeah, because they need to use a slave race that can talk to those spores, and they don't. You know, yeah. they're not about that. There's nobody saying, <laughs> but we could ask for volunteers since the, our slave is a human. So why don't we just see if there's anybody who's down they, with it? I'll just say, yeah. at the risk of making Ryerson's head explode, <laughs> I'll say just, they address it. I'm just, Fine. I'm just enjoying Just one time on this episode, it's amazing. That's all I'm hearing. It's awesome. Well, yeah, you yeah. gotta understand yeah. unfortunately, that they've got a spaceship that unfortunately, transcends time and space and can yeah. travel instantaneously anywhere, but then yeah. they, it takes place before the original series and none of the other series yeah. have anything remotely Which, like this. 
Which I know is not what you're saying, but that's what I hear in my head anytime I hear no, people talk about Star Trek. That's actually what I'm saying. I'm just okay. saying it that way now. <laughs> okay, yeah. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Let me, let me, I, I, and I do apologize, Chris, that they never had a Christmas special with Paul Lind and B. Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> well, that pretty much gets so to the root. as long as you want to talk geek yeah, shit, that's it. That gets to the root of my entire disappointment with Star Trek as a universe. So <laughs> thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> From far beyond the galaxies, I've journeyed to this place to study the behavior patterns of the human race. And I find them highly illogical. So, yeah, that's our show. If you like our show, check out, you can find that old episode where we also talked about Star Trek and see how much of it we retreaded just now. Uh, you can go to our website to find it. That's maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. Um, find that show, rate it on your podcast app of choice, give us five stars. Uh, you can also find links to our Twitter feed. We're at maghuge. You can find our Facebook page, Magnificently Huge Podcast, our Instagram and you can email us, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com, to tell us what a bunch of geek losers we are, except for Chris, because he's, he's better than us. Because I like BR. And we know you're not going to do any of that crap, so just get your friends to listen to the show. Yeah. yeah. Come on, you listened to it this far, you must have liked it, so like, you know, yeah. spread the wealth. And most importantly, keep on splitting those infinitives, kids. He works all his life, gives it...